Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about live free or die hard. On your tombstone, it should read always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Elba, yippee-ki-yay. This is an American action thriller. Very clever action there. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Directed by Len Wiseman. The cast includes Corbin Dallas, a Mac, Roman Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say that again. Roman. Ramona Flowers, Justified Man, Tori from Divergent, Not So Silent Bob, Fire Lord Ozai, Shadow from Fast Five, and Charlie's Uncle Jack. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon Prime Video. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. Jeffrey Bezos. Yes. <laughs> the... um, did you watch the Did you watch the PG thirteen version or the unrated version? I think it was PG thirteen. I didn't see an option yeah. for unrated. There was one on the Amazon Prime, and then later on in the in the X Amazon X rays, they were like, there was an unrated version of the movie that came out, and but they this is the first PG thirteen Die Hard. Um, and you can kind of tell there's a couple of moments where they uh, like overdub the um, the audio so he's not no longer cursing quite as frequently or as severely um, to oh, make it safe for PG-13 audiences. Yeah. Yeah, definitely anyway. didn't have some of the hard hitting R rated stuff, uh, like some of the grotesqueness, especially that we saw in Die Hard 1. But um, OK, well, let's uh, let's talk about Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, let's go over the events of this movie first in our synopsis. There has been a hack, a big one. So the FBI decides to round up all the hackers in America to find out who did it. NYPD detective John McClane is tasked with bringing Matt Farrell, one of the hackers, to D.C. for questioning. When McLean arrives, an organized group of assassins shoot the hell out of Farrell's apartment, and he and McLean barely make it out alive. In D.C., things aren't much better. The city's transportation grid has been rendered useless, and the whole country's financial structures are falling apart. A cryptic message, broadcast on every screen in the country, confirms the worst. This is some sort of organized attack. When Farrell sees the mess, he immediately recognizes the telltale signs of a fire sale. Essentially, this is the most devastating theoretical cyber attack possible in the U.S., except it is no longer theoretical anymore. The final stage of a fire sale is to shut down the energy grid. So McLean and Farrell drive to the power grid's headquarters in West Virginia to hopefully intercept the terrorists there. When they arrive, they're too late. The eastern seaboard, as well as the western and central grids, have all been shut down. The terrorists learn of McLean's whereabouts and try to blow him up, but he escapes again. Farrell and McLean are getting desperate. The terrorists seem to have all the cards. The duo fly to Baltimore to meet one of Farrell's hacker friends. There, the terrorists reveal they have McLean's daughter hostage. But the good hackers are able to reverse hack the bad guys, and now they know where they are. McLean and Farrell fight their way into the bad guy base. Farrell finds their main hacking computer and puts an encrypted lock on it, but then he gets captured. McLean shoots a lot of bullets, but it is to no avail. 
He chases his opponent out of the building and out into the streets. The terrorists call in a fighter jet to take McLean out, but he escapes up a CGI bridge and the jet explodes epically. The bad guys try to force Farrell to unlock the computer, and he eventually agrees, but his stalling gave McLean enough time to show up and shoot his gun better this time, killing all the terrorists. With the crisis averted, Farrell, McLean, and McLean's daughter all go home. The end. Very nice. And as a reminder to our listeners, these synopsises are written by our very own oh, Joey. So, it's so nice of you to a, remind us. A little round of applause there. Uh, yes. All the factual errors, <laughs> blame on me. So let's get started. Let's start a discussion with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Live Free or Die Hard? All of the hacking scenes were genuinely well done. I enjoyed all that. It wasn't just typing and stuff flashing on the screen. There's some neat, um, which I think normally you see in hacking movies. There's a lot of just... You know, um, <laughs> I do know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, some neat moments uh, with the bad guys being bad guys. Um, the story wasn't terrible or hard to follow. Um, and I like the mystery stuff. And I thought that Justin Long was was good, actually. Uh, what about you? What did you like about this? I thought that the premise of having all technology fail at the same time is interesting. I've had people talk about Live Free or Die Hard. Like just they they reference just the concept of this movie because it is so it's such a spectacle uh, right. e- in relation to real life disasters. So I think that's good. The idea at least is interesting. Some there are some fun spectacles in the movie also with like the tunnel scene and the presidential speech there were some things where it's like whoa this is really cool there's also great ragdoll stunts which i'll (laughs) talk about a little bit more uh, a little later i also liked justin long i thought he did really well it was an interesting choice i think for the fourth diehard to bring him in as the you know the buddy sidekick sidekick yeah sidekick's the right word but uh i thought he really uh, he did really well and I echo your sentiment on how they did the hacking stuff, like tech jargon, the use of technology, for the most part, I thought was pulled off in a way that didn't make you roll your eyes, which is, you know, something that Hollywood does so like they, they make you roll your eyes a lot by being like, yes. OK, here's <laughs> hacking, you know, right. like playing uh, <laughs> like just <laughs> playing uh, Sandstorm and, and like the hackers wearing a ski mask and like pointing a gun at the screen. So this was <laughs> I felt like they did a good job, which this movie heavily relies on um, the, the use of hacking. So I thought that was well yeah. done. Uh, cons now let's let's talk about we didn't like joey what did you not like about live free or die hard i think we're probably going to disagree about this but i felt like the action was absolutely ridiculous and completely out of place for this movie um mclean is barely a character at all uh the bad guy's plan doesn't make any sense um and despite overwhelming odds mclean was never in danger of losing what about you I thought that the there were times where the dialogue was really cringe and um, just uncomfortable to listen to. At times, it wasn't the whole time, but there was some some times I wasn't a fan of. Uh, like specifically when John was throwing that guy out of the car that his uh, daughter was in, and he was like being toxic masculinity dad, and it's like no, my daughter is literally never allowed to date anyone. By the way, it's like oh, yeah, that no was, dating till marriage, right? <laughs> When you're married, then you can date, okay? But yeah, that was not great. There, the jump cut combat was 
insanely boring. I don't think we ever got to see John McClane actually land a punch. It was always, you know, the, the, like 12 cuts in this in one action, and which makes it you can't see anything. John McClane becomes a super soldier in this movie, which is something I was anticipating a lot earlier in the Die Hard series. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, the CGI looked horrible at times. <laughs> we already kind of joked about it in the synopsis with the CGI bridge, but oh my gosh. Then um, the fallout of the fire sale, I think, is way too high concept and doesn't really touch on the reality of the downstream effects of an event like that. And um, I think that's a missed opportunity. There could have been a lot more humanity in this movie if they focused on what happens to the general populace as a result of this. But we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll delve deeper into that in our overall section, which we can start right now. Go ahead, Joy. Well, this was just a spectacle. Absolutely. But it had some of the hallmarks of previous diehards. Um, and that stuff, I think it handed, handled uh, pretty well. Um, the bad guys have a super elaborate plan with multiple stages. It's very difficult to follow, and it likely doesn't make any sense, and is incredibly impractical. But it's impossible to hold all of it in your mind at once, so it's honestly hard to tell like just how feasible something like this is. But it definitely seems like if you're trying to do what he's trying to do, there's got to be a simpler way that is, <laughs> you know, because this is ridiculous. Um, but the story itself is incredibly simple. Uh, McLean has to go from here to here and then from there to there uh, and then back again, killing or blowing up or hacking everything in his path. Um, and McLean has a sidekick in this one, just like in uh, Vengeance. Justin Long is a, pr is a pretty good actor and he's not your typical action hero, but he contributes a lot and he has some really good lines. Unlike uh, Samuel Jackson in, um, the, in Vengeance, where he really was just kind of there most of the time and kind of dragged along, Justin Long's character in this, Matt Farrell, uh, does a lot like he's he's helping hack the car he's you know typing a lot and he like plays a big role in the um, climax of the movie oh too. yeah he has knowledge that john simply doesn't have and he's there to do more than like he, he makes it so john can still stay in the conflict honestly without justin long john would have been you know just didn't have the skill set yeah exactly um mclean's family is in mortal peril again uh, this, although contrived, does make sense in the context of the story. And Lucy's arc of accepting her father is pretty cheesy, but um, and it requires no uh, growth from John McClane, of course. Uh, but <laughs> it's just uh, it's just another example of of that kind of thing, which I'll talk about a little bit again. But the um, <laughs> why can't yeah, you just I, be a normal dad? I'm just too much of a badass. And then they become, oh, right. he's like, I'm <laughs> yeah, a badass. She's like, wow, you're definitely my dad. Like, that's I, right. That is actually you, what my, I want my dad to be. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong, actually. Um, yeah. I'm like, normally it's like, oh, wow, Holly's plane is in the air. You know, oh, like this, you know, that that's kind of contrived a little bit. It's like, but it makes sense because like, that's why McLean's at the airport. And in this one, it's like, okay, McLean involves himself directly in this. And then that gets Lucy involved, his daughter. So that, um, that although it's like, oh, wow, I got to raise the stakes in some artificial way by introducing this daughter and then bringing her in. It actually does make sense in the context of the story. So I, um, although it feels kind of weird, it, I feel like it was handled pretty well. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, honestly, this movie to me felt the least diehard of the diehard movies we've watched so far, because obviously we've done three other episodes about diehard. Uh, but this one felt way more 
modern <laughs> and also it felt very much of its time like it felt like a late aughts movie to me <laughs> yes and uh especially with the cgi which was not a good thing uh, I, I also have commented on how i felt about the dialogue although i want to be a little bit uh more nuanced there were still some solid one-liners from our man john mcclain like when he goes that's gonna wake the neighbors that was a good one <laughs> i you know you can count on him for that kind of stuff but i i feel like one of the reasons why this doesn't feel like classic Die Hard is because john is a super soldier and he acts like it every problem can be dealt with head-on with brute force and john can take whatever punishment he receives as a result of that strategy john starts out with like the, in this movie or the movie's events start out with some pretty run-of-the-mill die-hard action shootout sequences uh when they're in the apartment but the movie quickly ramps up from there to John surviving, jumping out of a moving car, which at the time is like, this is a pretty ridiculous choice. Why is he doing this? You know, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't have any other strategies. He's like, no, this, this is the call. No, that's like the call. That's how it is for the whole movie. You know, it's always just like, okay, this is, it's no longer like, oh, I got a clever solution to this. Oh, I'm going to outsmart my opponents. You know, I have, I understand the layout of this thing better than they do or whatever. And I'm going to get in there. It's, <laughs> it's it's none of that it's just like okay what's the most ridiculous thing i can do you know how many bullets can i shoot and uh and, and do this it's always like that um that whole scene where he drives the car through the lab um, yes. or like the, through the whatever it's called like the headquarters for the energy grid or whatever yeah made uh, what the heck was that where did that <laughs> even come from you know, like, remember the, when they when the terrorists first get down there there's the security guy down there he's like what the hell are you guys doing out here this is a secure area and then they immediately shoot him right and then they throw him out a window or something right right how is it a secure area and there's access for a car to drive <laughs> in there <laughs> and enough space for and like uh oh, it doesn't make any sense like oh my solution is to get a car up there that's gonna work <laughs> instead of like oh I, sh I need to climb back up there and do something to that ninja girl i don't know unironically man. john mcclain is making the case for why he should be in the fast and the furious franchise he's like look mm -hmm. even i'm using cars in an uh, like totally unnecessary way he does over and over again. He, I mean, remember, remember him launching that guy um, off the fence that he crashes into? Yes, yes. And, he's, and then Justin Long's like, "Did you see that?" He's like, "Yeah, I did that." Like, what, <laughs> like that was his intention was to do that exact thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it goes on. You know, he, John McClane. Not only does he survive, you know, the uh, jumping out of a moving car, like we said, he also survives multiple car wrecks. Also, falling multiple stories out of a window, which is what he does right before he drives the car through the lab, and falling off a cr like a fighter jet that's about to crash. Like all of this, he's able to do, and then walk away and continue to kick ass. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes he's limping, but or barely. Bleeding, but in the next scene, he's totally fine again. He's got full use of his whole body. You know, until the very end when he gets shot in the arm. Yeah. Right. The rest of the movie, even when he's got like blood on his face and he's got that bandage on his arm, he's like, yeah, I can just, I can just keep doing everything I, I've been doing. He's like a video game character. You're, you're on one health, but you're totally fine. Like you're just, your guy's like breathing a little heavy or like there's like right, blood right, around right. the edges, but you can still roll. 
<laughs> that's that's exactly what it is though it is like being on one percent health in a video game because you're you're either alive and fully functional or dead that's the two settings for video game characters. that's right and that's how john is in this movie the only thing that keeps him from seeing like basically god mode compared to everybody else is that some of his adversaries are similarly powered up and capable of taking a lot of punishment too uh, like like you said when he's driving the car through the uh lab that the Asian woman is able to get hit by a car and then driven through multiple walls. And then she's like, whatever, I'm just going to keep fighting after that. I'm totally fine. Just like you, John, and none of this matters to either of us. And the same thing with the parkour guy, parkour Andy, who's able to survive <laughs> being hit by John's car and launched by the fence. And then also the way that he moves. He, I mean, I understand being good at parkour, but this guy is moving like a Jedi. This is, it, it, he was on another level of existence. So all that stuff combined, like just takes this movie into a different, like it doesn't feel like Die Hard because they leave that kind of like assumed reality that Die Hard is supposed yeah, yeah. to exist in behind. Well, that's what's, I, I, honestly, I feel torn about it because on one hand, like they're pretty cool scenes, you know, and they're unique, ridiculous, and, like, and complete fantasy. But on the other hand, it just feels completely out of place. Um, and like, I don't really feel like this movie's tone is necessarily so serious that something like this isn't like, it is really that jarring, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as crazy as the stunts are, they don't feel dangerous or even really necessary. They just kind of look cool. And I never, I never really fear for John McClane any, or any of our heroes. I know he'll win. I know he'll, if he gets shot or his arm hurt or a couple scenes, it'll all be forgotten, um, which I think, is, I think is what is throwing me off from the other diehards, especially. Yeah. Because especially in that first one, you, know, he, you feel the consequences of his actions. And every time he makes a choice, there are consequences for it, and then he has to adapt to that situation. And it's never that he's stronger than anybody else or, you know, or even really smarter than anybody else. It's just that he he's lucky and that he understands the situation and he like uh, he assesses things quickly. He, th he qu thinks on his feet quickly. And I think that's really what, you know, uh, makes him an interesting character more so than he can like he could be a bullet sponge. Right. It's because he does what you as the audience feel like you would do is that right. you wouldn't go commando and immediately start shooting everybody. You would call for help. You would do all the smartest things. And the reason that John McClane is interesting is because those things don't work. And eventually he has to resort to being a badass. but that's not his first impulse. And that's just totally thrown out the window in this movie. And, and right. like, and like you're saying, comparing this movie to the other diehards, it is jarring to see John act this way. But even within this own movie, all of these kind of impossible, like, John is totally going to be fine no matter what happens situations, begin to stack up. And by the end of the movie, I was just rolling my eyes at how invincible John <laughs> was portrayed to be. I And, and honestly, this does backfire because um, I know it's badass that John said yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, and shot himself <laughs> to kill Thomas Gabriel. I think that is a really cool idea. And if you said, if you started off a, like planning a Die Hard movie with that being the ending, awesome. That's Die Hard sure. badassness. But at that point, I knew he was going to be fine. I wasn't worried about John's health at all. I knew he'd literally walk it off, and he essentially did. So this movie to me was just <laughs> disappointing because we saw John... like. Well, going like comparing it to the other Die Hard movies, in Die Hard 2, we saw John take baby steps 
towards becoming a super soldier. But it actually felt like those were walked back entirely with the events of Die Hard 3. But this movie sent John flying ragdoll style towards <laughs> becoming John McClane's super soldier, which right. is boring compared to who John McClane has been. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, I, but like, let's, let's move on to like his character a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like John, Die Hard is the best when John McClane is uh, when they attempt to grow John McClane as a character. The very first movie does this the best, obviously, where he is kind of, you know, he's kind of an absent, like, husband and father, and he's, like, he's in a different city as his wife, and he feels really disconnected from her, and they, they fight, you know, pretty frequently, even though they still love each other. And then at the end, or in the middle of the movie, you know, close to the climax, he sort of reconciles that maybe what he's doing is, uh, or the way he's acting is not uh, the best. Anyway, you can listen to our other reviews of Die Hard if you want to hear our, our analysis of that. In, this, in the other movies, this doesn't really occur. He's really more of an audience surrogate or just like generic action man. And this one is, is that as well. Um, there are a couple of decent moments with him, though. And there's one quote that I really like that gives McLean some depth that I think is missing in the rest of the movie. And actually, you, if the rest of the movie or there are more of this with this, I would say that he's actually am, is like developing as a character, as an action hero. Um, so let me let me play that. that what you get for being a hero? Nothing. Get shot at. Get a little pat on the back. Blah blah blah. Had a boy. Get divorced. Your wife can't remember your last name. Kids don't want to talk to you. Get to eat a lot of meals by yourself. Trust me, kid. Nobody wants to be that guy. Why are you doing this? Because there's nobody else to do it right now, that's why. Believe me, if there was somebody else to do it, I would let them do it, but there's not. So we're doing it. That's what makes you that guy. So this this moment, I think, reinforces that idea of the reluctant hero that we see in the other movies, right? He's kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? And he just happens to be the guy uh, that stuff happens to, and then how is he going to react to it? And I think Matt Farrell kind of turns that on its head a little bit. And it's like, you know, not everyone would do this. That's what makes you special. Um, the, the fact that you would go out of your way to help people and to do what you think is right um, when other people aren't is uh, exactly uh, why we love you, John McClane. Um, so I, I wish there was a little bit more of this because I, I feel like that is a really strong character moment for the, our diehard hero. If you had more of that, maybe we could understand why being a hero makes it so that your daughter hates you and that your wife is divorced from you. Right. Because, is that really mutually exclusive? Right. Well, because, again, like I, I think that this is great. We are getting to see a little bit more behind who John is as a person. But at the same time, did the phone call at the end of Die Hard 3 mean nothing? Right. I mean, I think this confirms that it did mean nothing because well, everyone. Yeah. I, this Maybe this is another diehard uh, like kind of meta <laughs> um, what, like pattern or something. It's like it gets, uh, John and Holly's uh, relationship just gets reset at the beginning of every movie. Right. Right. It's always like, oh, and then they're estranged again. Oh, they're, you know, oh, they're not talking again or, or whatever. And it becomes like uh it becomes part of his arc or part of his story that he should call Holly or make right with his daughter or whatever, but it, it never lasts. It always just falls apart immediately. Because uh, 
that because that's because, how it is. Uh, <laughs> because the other, you know, 364 days of the year when he's not saving the world, <laughs> he's he's a shitty dad. That's why. <laughs> um right but okay at least you know confront that or something i don't know it makes it seem like because he's a hero he doesn't have time for that other stuff or maybe but it's just not clear so while i do feel like this i i do like this idea of the the reluctant hero um i i wish that it tied in more to john as a person instead of just being that one thing we already know about him is that he doesn't want to do this he just ends up being the, the only one who can yeah the other moment that really stood out to me was when he asked Warlock, uh, Kevin Smith's hacker character, uh, for help. And he reminds him, like, my daughter's on that. Like, I need help because, like, my, uh, my daughter's in danger or something. And that, that felt like a really, that was a really good moment and, and touching and, like, really kind of brought things back to home. And, like, it was a moment of kind of weakness that you see from, from McLean that you don't normally see. Even when he's, you know, harassing his daughter at school or, or whatever, right? He's uh, um, it, it's kind of with this kind of stoic nature to it. But in this moment, he f- you see him be vulnerable. Uh, and you see what, like, that this is personal for him and that, you know, there's something for him to lose. Um, but, you know, there, those are only words. Like, the, uh, what, you've, what you're shown is certainly not that he's going to lose anything. There's never a danger that Lucy's in uh in any sort of real mortal peril she's always going to be saved in the end um but yeah so but john mcclain just as in the last uh just in the the last two movies right he has no arc he learns nothing he doesn't need to grow or change he's already perfect super cop um but is he even the same person as he is in die hard one two and three I mean, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis has certainly aged a lot between <laughs> Die Hard Three and uh, um, Live Free or Die Hard. But in Live Free, he's way more stoic, confident, and although he has his quips, it's sort of this standoffish, old guy, cool-headedness that is way more prevalent than the fly by your seat of the pants, quick thinking you see uh, when Bruce Willis was younger. As it is in the other movies, the only tangible arc comes from the other characters. Um, and Justin Long fil- fulfills the diehard tradition of people who hate McLean at the beginning, loving and respecting him by the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, he's not so bad after all. Yeah. I mean, this happens in all of them. Uh, they're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, McLean, I can't believe you're coming in here and being a hothead. And then at the end, they're like, yeah. Gotta respect. Yeah, like I don't care what you did at that tower in California. That wasn't. That's you, right. You're not hot shit, Dan McLean. Like you really. Damn. I'm gonna definitely avoid uh, that parking ticket. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but okay. Well, I feel like we are getting in. A, we there's a lot of negative here, which you know we're just saying our honest opinions. But one thing I do want to say that I liked about this movie, completely just on like positive, is the ragdoll stunts okay and by ragdoll stunts i'm talking about basically stunts where humans are flying around much like a (laughs) ragdoll would if you threw it you just let them free fly and this is basically my only positive for the stunts because overall i felt this movie was pretty disappointing with the stunts compared to the other diehard movies where the stunts are one of the hallmarks one of the reasons we watch um where this one didn't really have that but they did have a lot of ragdoll stunts. Like it was a recurring thing. Um, 
examples like when the fire extinguisher exploded that guy went flying out the window and then landed on the car and you could see it so clearly they weren't hiding it and it definitely wasn't cgi that was awesome Uh, another one was when justin long's computer explodes and there's the guy who's like walking towards them with his machine gun and you see him fly forward and hit the wall (laughs) smack into it that was awesome and um and then also when john is fighting the guy with the gun in the basement of Woodlawn and he chucks him down the stairs and you get to see him like crumple up and probably should have been like pretty injured at that point, even though he keeps going after that a little bit. We get to see all of that, which was awesome and a big difference from most of the stunts in this movie. So that was one thing I did really like to see just humans going airborne and (laughs) letting us enjoy every part of that so overall i was disappointed with the stunts in this movie but the ragdolls really i did they really did it for me that scene in the elevator was was intense i like i liked that for the most part where they drives the car into the elevator and then they're like fighting in the car and like close quarters and then they have to like he's like he's holding on to the cables and like wrapping around her neck and saying funny lines like is that too tight for you honey or whatever <laughs> Like that, that one was probably the most ridiculous. And I was like, but it was different, you know? That's another, was, yeah, that's another example. It was interesting. Well, and it, yeah. Well, and like they yeah. had the guy at the top who like shows up and starts shooting into the elevator shaft because of course, why not at this <laughs> point? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It like, it was something different. It made no sense how they got there and it made no sense how he got out of it. But it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a cool scene and it's something that definitely will stick in my memory. It was kind of a cool scene, but personally, the what you said before, how they got there and how they got out of it, to me, was too ridiculous. Because <laughs> don't you think those cables would be tough on your hands? They had to, oh my God, they had yes. to wear gloves in Die Hard 3 to use for similar cables. You put those on either side of her head, I feel like you're at least cutting her, if not maybe like decapitating No, those things are intense. Her. Yeah. And they're like under so much like tension, too. Yeah. Although they might have snapped. I don't know. But yeah, they, no, there's no that, way. Okay, because that's the difference between PG-13 Die Hard and Rated R, R Die Hard. In a Rated R Die Hard, she's dying because one of those cables like snaps to tension, and she's in the way, and her head goes flying down the elevator shaft. Yeah, and twisting. Like, yeah. With a shocked expression on it. Right, and, and John has some like clever, clever quip for like her getting decapitated. Like, Should have kept your head on. Yeah, straight. don't lose your head, honey, or something like that. Yeah, and, But of course, that doesn't happen, and that's... Uh, I don't know. It was definitely... Well, this movie had a lot of stuff like that where it's like, wow, this is really badass, but it, it's like in a different realm. Like the same thing with in the tunnel where the cars are flipping all over the place. And it's like, okay, this is really cool to look at, but it's like, they were not... Justin Long and Bruce Willis were never going to die in this scene. They were always going to be perfectly where the cars were. Oh, aren't. yeah. I still remember from the trailer that one scene where Me the uh, the two cars like drive past each other at this like around Justin Long and uh, and Bruce Willis, and then another car is flipping and lands on top of both of those cars, and they're like they just duck underneath and they're totally fine. Yes. Yeah, Which, I, I must have seen that, that that like a thousand times for some reason. I remember watching that trailer. Me too. So many no, times I, for I, some dis- I. I did the uh, Leo DiCaprio snapping and pointing at the screen <laughs> meme because I was like, yeah. oh, I distinctly remember that exact sequence from the commercials. So um, anyways, I think we've harped enough on the stunts, but ragdolls good. Everything else, meh. Uh, but OK, let's let's talk about one of the major concepts in this movie, which is a concept of a fire sale. And Justin Long, if you'd be so kind to explain what a fire sale is. Jesus Christ, it's a fire sale. It's a fire sale. 
Hey, we don't know that yet. Yeah, it's a myth anyway. It can't be done. Oh, it's a myth? Really? Please tell me she's only here for show and she's actually not in charge of anything. What's a farce? It's a three-step. It's a three-step systematic attack on the entire national infrastructure. Okay, step one, take out all the transportation. Step two, the financial base and telecoms. Step three, get rid of all the utilities, gas, water, electric, nuclear, pretty much anything that's run by computers, which, which today is almost everything. So that's why they call it a fire sale, because everything must go. Hey, l listen, listen, what's your name? I like the idea of a fire sale as a premise, but this movie fails to capitalize on the real implications of a successful fire sale. Where are the marauders? Where are the criminals who take full advantage of a power failure? Where are the innocent yeah, yeah, yeah. people suffering as a result of this of their world being turned upside down? Okay, um I think the term fire sale is really dumb personally. Like everything must go, so it's a fire sale? Like a, a fire sale like like the, the the origin of the term is because it's uh it's because there's fire damage to your inventory and you're selling it at extremely low prices, right? What does that have to do with um like a cyber attack here? Everything must go? Like why don't you call it like a closeout or like a I don't know, something like something related to like uh uh what's it called? Like uh a, a closing or like a you know a uh, shutdown or a bankruptcy or something. Why is it a fire sale specifically? I guess it kind of sounds cool. It does sound. I think that's fire. it. It just sounds fires cool. in there. And then they have that one line that everything must go. <laughs> right. Well, they, yeah. They, why don't they call it a liquidation sale or a Toyota thon? They could. <laughs> You could call it anything. I um I agree. Yeah, but where's that kid? Where's that kid great. in from Die Hard Three who says, well, "What's the big deal? It's you could still tip City Hall. It's Christmas out there." Exactly. No, that's what I'm talking about. Outside of the car wrecks in DC, it almost seems like all humans disappear when the power goes out. Because we saw those wrecks, and that was pretty brutal. And it seemed like there was some suffering, but other than that, Baltimore's deserted. DC yeah. after that is pretty much deserted. Well, there's even that that weird line with McLean uh, where he's like, "Don't like the system is people. You're not talking about like you're not talking about some sort of thing. You're talking about a country, and it's made of people. Like you have to be thinking about like all the death and destruction you're causing. It's like, okay, well, where is it exactly? Like what 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 is what is the death and destruction that's going on? Yes, I mean they they even threaten they're going to blow up the Capitol or they they show a video of blowing up the Capitol. That would be kind of cool if they had blown up the Capitol, but they didn't. Right. It was just a it was just a a video. Show us, don't tell us, tell us first of all, but also at least tell us, you know, they could have been like <laughs> Arkansas has just become like a like it's been taken over by terrorists or something. Anarchists or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but no, nothing happens. The power goes out and all Americans are just sheltering in place and riding this one out. John McClain is on it, y'all. We we got like this is going to last 24 hours max. And that's I feel like it's a huge missed opportunity, especially because this movie, instead of doing that, like stays very high concept 
and says you should worry more about the nation's financial stability as a result of the fire sale instead of what <laughs> happens to innocent Americans. Well, yeah, it's like that meme of like, what's it? The astronauts on the moon and there's like a, an asteroid destroys Earth and he says, oh no, the economy. Exactly. That's literally this movie. They're like, <laughs> all technology fails and people are like, oh no, my stocks. It was like, all right. Uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't really get it either, especially since like I don't really understand what his plan is exactly like he's 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 trying to divert all of the uh, information to be backed up into some sort of like central database where so that he can hack that. But like, what does he get from that? It's not like Bitcoin, right? Like where you everything's digital. It's not like there's dollars and cents inside those servers. I guess he has like everyone's account information so you can like like siphon money from everyone's banks bank accounts i guess but like I, I don't know it doesn't really make a lot of sense and like you know no would any bank honor that you know what i mean it's like <laughs> oh by the way like there was this massive like uh cyber attack it it is taken out the country for two days no one in the world has not heard about this like oh and like somebody's trying to draw a thousand dollars out of your bank account right now and it's not and it's not me oh um that's probably related. <laughs> let's just let's just cancel all like transactions for the until we can figure out what's going on. Right. right? As as if like uh, every single part of this is controlled by the government, you know, right. and, and the government has its has the ability to influence all these different systems that are independently connected. I think this, I don't know. this movie relies on like the general populace not really understanding how stuff like that works, which kind of i think is forgivable <laughs> like the thing is um i don't know in general like getting back to this conversation of how they use technology in this movie i don't think this movie requires you to have a phd in computer science um and it it, it like it, it makes these things kind of graspable in a way that maybe isn't real but works for the context of this movie which i think is well executed like for the most part, I do still feel like hackers can just plug a USB into anything and suddenly be hacking, you know? Right. But overall, I felt like they did a pretty good job with handling this massive, massively important concept of technology and hacking in the, the con context of this movie. Right. Well, usually when you see hacking in a movie, it's just like some guy in some remote location, like, I had to be close to the place, so I had to be in a van that's connected to the Wi-Fi or something, you know. And then he's like, he's got like tons of keyboards and monitors, and he's just, you know, tapping, tapping, tapping away. Right. And then he can get into any security feature, or anything, simply by typing. No, you never see a mouse ever used in a hacking movie, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, he's like constantly just, you know, just typing or whatever. He's like, I'm in. You know, right. I, I got all this, whatever. And then, like, anything that's computer-related is suddenly hackable, right? It's, it can be overridden because that's kind of the narrative is that, like, your computers are vulnerable and there's no way for you to, like, make something hack-proof, basically. And that's kind of how this works. But this movie actually does a pretty good job of diversifying its hacking, I think. Um, like, a lot of the hacking scenes are just simply typing. But... 
you get to see Farrell's various tools. He has a bunch of different, like he has that little phone that he has that he has to plug into his stuff. He has that roll-up keyboard that he uses that's kind of unique. Um, there's different ways they interact with the systems that play. There's something like there's a lot of scenes of him not just typing but plugging stuff into other stuff. There's that whole like little montage where that Italian guy is like putting a CD-ROM into the computer. Like that's a little bit different. Like oh, I have to put an executable inside. It's not just like oh, I hacked it. You know, I put I plugged my computer in and now I'm hacking. It's like oh, I have to do all these different steps to get in there. I have to reroute the wires or whatever. Um, and there's even like some social engineering scenes where. Um, Farrell, uh, like, scams Dolores at the BMW um, driver assist, whatever, to turn on the car. Um, there's, uh, what's her name, Maya, or Mai, who um, uh, redirects McLean's car, pretending to be the GPS or, like, the, uh, the people on the dispatch and stuff. So, like, those are real hacking things. Phishing is a, is a huge part of hacking. So that's, uh, I liked seeing that and seeing that used well, um, which I think is... Uh, you know, at least something. No, you no, no, definitely. You, you're, um, I think that's really important to point out because the, they do at least make the attempt to make it so that some of these things that they're doing were actually hard to do or needed some sort of planning. And it isn't just, okay, we've got a hacker sit down and do the hack. They had to yeah. source all these different hackers who have different skill sets to be able to pull off this master plan, which is like necessitates them to like, get rid of them also so yeah I, I think that there's like this is why the that seems to work so well is because they do put a little bit of thought into the reality of it definitely i think that's i think that's pretty cool um i, I mean what what also happens is that mclean is uh they play up this idea that mclean doesn't understand technology uh which was present a lot in Die Hard 2 um it, like when he's like oh fax machines i don't know what a fax machine is <laughs> Um, and then they had to explain what fax machines are. And they had this one quote from um, uh, Thomas Gabriel, the bad guy, uh, where he calls, uh, uh, he compares uh, uh, McLean to a certain timepiece. John, you're a Timex watch in a digital age. You gotta lose. <laughs> Which, Which is hilarious know. because we just talked about. Uh, th this kind of concept with the last movie we reviewed, uh, which That's had right. this quote in it. All this computer stuff is your thing, not mine. Tom? Tom? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so this, I, I, I mean, like, I think this is meant to be like a, you don't even know what you're, what you're doing type thing. Because he's like calling him a Timex watch. But like, he's like, oh, but like Timex is a well-respected watch company and like their stuff stands the test of time or something like that right, right, right. i don't want to do a timex ad here but like <laughs> the um i think he's like oh like you're like you're this old-fashioned thing but like like actually like there's still a lot of respect in being kind of an old-fashioned guy and honestly it this movie feels like john mcclain was frozen in ice and then woken in the future <laughs> like he's like all this technology that i don't understand like oh man like they had to bring in the super cop from the past in order to solve today's problem that they have you know <laughs> everything is newfangled and different than how it used to be yeah yeah no i feel the same way it, it does you could almost give them too much credit and be like this was the culmination of all of those unnecessary john mcclain versus technology quotes because that also even came up in uh die hard three a little bit when he was complaining about cell phones so it, it's 
been part of who he is and this is just more character development or maybe not even development but just consistency in his character uh because he just doesn't understand it but again it's like are you even trying john it's you weren't unfrozen for this movie you existed (laughs) like come on get with the times he's just now catching up to the 90s i feel like yes (laughs) but um (laughs) But okay, but but going back to what you were saying about Justin Long, um, I I thought Justin Long was good and bad in this movie. The good thing is, I think he's a genuinely a good actor, and he made the most of his screen time. I believed what he was saying. I, I believe he knew what he was talking about when it came to being a hacker, and also his reactions to the craziness around him seemed genuine. So just good acting. He came and did the role that he was supposed to do. No problems there. The bad was I didn't really love him sharing the screen with Bruce Willis. They didn't have the chemistry that we saw with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson in Die Hard 3. And I think it's interesting you brought up before the importance of Justin Long's character actually having a purpose because that is, yeah. that's also different. And honestly, it's better. I'd rather have that without as much chemistry when we're telling a story right that's what it felt like was so missing from from vengeance you know in like it was so nice having samuel jackson there to react to things and to you know be like oh wow like this is a crazy thing and to help like you know kind of bring you along with the story and he's such a, a he's also such a great actor and he fits into that zeus role so well um and yeah, I, like yeah, you're right like but it'd be so many, so much better if he had something to do right you know if he was if he had some knowledge of the city that John didn't have, if he had some um, expertise in something that was useful to them, but he doesn't. That's but that's what Justin Long brings. But then, yeah, you're you're right. Like he's not he's not as good as Samuel Jackson, <laughs> so right, which not, I know is a hard act to follow. I'm not right. Tr- I, I know it's kind of setting him up for failure, and he's brave for taking on this role right after Samuel Jackson as being like the sidekick to John McClane. But I think the way I characterized the, the their performance together was they're fine on screen at the same time but their whole wasn't greater than the sum of their individual parts jo- yeah. justin long had his moments mclean had his moments or bruce willis had his moments but rarely did they combine to be great uh, i mean i did like the way that at the end of the movie where uh john respected Justin Long a little bit more for taking a bullet and for saving his daughter and it it felt actually even more special because it felt like they had no chemistry throughout the movie but <laughs> overall I think the problem was that they just didn't have chemistry throughout the movie right yeah I don't know I there was a couple of moments where like I think Justin Long is the one that really kind of grows with this right at first he's very distrustful of him and he's and he's like constantly like kind of joking about how he's a wimp or, or a weak or whatever he's like oh I think my door's locked or whatever like because <laughs> can't open it um and then at the end right he like he really steps up and like and uh and really like saves the day which i think is uh is pretty cool and it's nice seeing him his character kind of grow in that way and um and be like a more fleshed out and um interesting character but it's kind of (laughs) i don't know like at the where he's going isn't necessarily better than where he was you know it's like oh yeah you know what um it, like the real heroes are the super cops like that's who i need to be you know <laughs> right uh but i did want to because you mentioned his scene where he was doing the social engineering with the on star uh person yeah. 
that was good acting. I was like, dang, Justin Long, pulling this out of nowhere with the, like, being all upset that his father was dying. Because he was acting like a person who was acting. And yeah. he, he did a really good job on that. So I thought it was gross. Praise to, to Justin Long. Um, so another character we need to talk about, which we haven't talked about yet, is Thomas Gabriel, uh, Tim, played by Timothy Oliphant. I didn't think he was that interesting as a villain. He's a government whistleblower who was quote unquote crucified uh, for being a whistleblower. And he wanted to make a point by hacking the system that he wanted to protect. And I guess I see his point. Like he's trying, I guess that's just something compelling about them ignoring him and then him going back in and, and showing them why they were wrong to have ignored him. But Ultimately, he was trying to steal this thing that represents all of the wealth of America. So that makes him just a normal greedy villain. Right. Which is another theme for Die Hard, right? Is that the guys come in with high and mighty goals or like they say they do, but really they're just there for the money. Well, yeah. Uh, And it's definitely treading over the same path we went in in Die Hard 3. Because Die Hard 3's thing was like, gold is the thing that represents all of the wealth of america i love gold <laughs> yes so so now it's later in and now we've left the gold standard behind and now technology uh That's right. holds all of the value Bits and bites yeah yeah this is the t- like i'm gonna melt all the gold down into gold wire to make better computer parts <laughs> well this is the rick and morty uh like ver- like this, the- Rick and Morty did the same thing, but much simpler, where they uh, crash the interdimensional like government. Always, yeah, the galactic government. That's right. Yeah, by changing a the one to a zero. That's right. So you skip a bunch <laughs> of steps that basically Die Hard Three tries to do. Or sorry, Die Hard Four tries to do. But um, but overall, like that's kind of interesting for for a villain to be this whistleblower, and you know he's not completely wrong. And and it does kind of line up with the other diehard villains, but no, but it's so confusing. Like, what exactly is his plan, right? Because he's like, I'm gonna do this super elaborate hack that's like extremely public, right? And it's like I'm gonna put everything I got into this thing and kill all the people that helped me do it and all this stuff. And like, he's gonna try and steal all of the government's information or all of the financial information or something. And he's like, oh, like, I think he says at the end, like, everything I've broken can be fixed for the right fee. You know, see, he's like basically trying to hold the country hostage, I think, is his goal. And he wants to be able to prove that somebody could do this and so that we would be better protected in the future. I don't know. It's like, it's very, it's very twisted. Um, well, he's, and it's just come like, on, Joey, he's working his ass off. You don't think he should get paid for his work? No. Um <laughs> This movie is like is probably what like the most conservative of the diehard yeah. movies. Yeah. Oh, big you time, know? big time. Because he's because first of all, it's like full cop cop copaganda. What's copaganda? Copaganda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where like everything is like go to the cops, got to talk to the cops. The only heroes that can save us are the cops. Um, and then you know he's a he's a whistleblower, uh, which you know the whistleblowers are bad. Conservatives hate whistleblowers, um, and uh, he also quotes Lenin, <laughs> which is not even actually. It's a tri- that quote is attributed to Lenin. It's not actually as likely Lenin never said it. But anyway, he he's like, oh, you know, this guy, you know, 
he's um he's on the fringes he's a sort of anarchist he's some sort of you know left-wing agitator he thinks that uh we should be improving the government instead of shutting it down you know and he helped build the system that's going to end up taking the whole government down that's why centralized government is bad folks and uh <laughs> yeah it's just uh i don't know it's a little bizarre i guess yeah um, which I guess kind of answers my next question because I, I almost felt like this movie was messageless. Uh, maybe it is a little bit of propaganda. Maybe it is a little bit of anti-central government or be, or growing the government. But I don't know. What else? The government has vulnerabilities it won't admit to having. Technology is scary and bad. The, or yeah. is the argument that this could really happen? Is that what they're trying to say? Like, I, I, I just... Uh, I felt like mostly this movie was about the spectacle and saying like, look at how much technology we have. What if that went all wrong? Yeah. Everything's relying on computers now. What if uh, all of the computers stopped working? Ever, you you fools. Know? Have you considered <laughs> Y2K? <laughs> I mean, imagine if you use this argument for any other tool. It's like, imagine if all of our hammers... <laughs> Like rebelled, or what if everybody, all of our nails failed every, simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Imagine the destruction if every nail in the country just suddenly disappeared. <laughs> I'm a carpenter. I know how to do this. <laughs> That's right. He starts hammering the on the side of a building, and the building just starts coming back together and like yeah, be, being right. reconstructed. <laughs> but in the, um, I mean, one last thing that I think maybe was. Uh, a salient point is that crime doesn't pay because sure. all the hackers who help with the hack that aren't the highest level all get killed by their own team. They all get yeah. killed at the hands of Taylor or Thomas Gabriel's goons. goons. So uh, don't don't think that just because you're kind of a CS major over here that you can get b the big payday by hacking the government because uh, it's not gonna. At the end of the day, you're just gonna get shot in the back. That's right. So, uh, so don't go into computer science. That's that the, right. <laughs> that's that what lesson? I was saying. Because <laughs> everybody who does that gets shot in the back. <laughs> but um, okay, I uh, I think that's all that I want to talk about. I think it's time to move on to our cool Easter eggs. How's that sound, Joey? Sounds great. Okay. Okay. So the first one is a quote from uh, Lucy Gennaro um, when she's talking to her dad. Lucy. Wait, Lucy. Lucy. Lucy McLean. It's not McLean. It's, it's Gennaro. <sighs> Which is, uh, you know, it, it kind of sets up her arc of, of eventually accepting her dad as the badass that he is. Uh, which, of course, we, sh we should all do. Right. Um, uh, but this is also a callback to the first Die Hard movie where Holly um, changes her name or at least uses her maiden name, Gennaro, instead of uh, McLean. Um, which eventually, which actually does play a significant part in the movie because it eventually saves her uh, because they can't tell who she is uh, specifically. Uh, so yeah, this is a kind of a cool callback. Yeah, definitely. I got another one, uh, also a uh, callback to Die Hard One. Special Agent Johnson, we'll take this today. Agent Johnson. That's right. Right this way. Great. So. This is uh, one of the FBI spooks. He says, um, my name is Special Agent Johnson. And uh, McLean's like, Johnson? I haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> As if it's not one of the most common names. In no, no, that's anyway. what I, I, I was but, but, thinking. But, but, 
But it's uh, it's a reference to the two FBI guys in the first Die Hard movie. Remember Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson who go up there and say like, oh, 20% casualties will be uh, will be acceptable. Right, um, right. They like totally screw up and then get their helicopter blown up. Um, so his uh, his reaction here is like, oh, another FBI guy named Johnson. You know how those go. Right. So. I guess I, it is definitely you can't really go back and uh, change the names of the FBI guys from the first movie. But this probably would have been a, a more satisfying reference if Johnson wasn't like by like one of the most common last names ever. You know, <laughs> yes. like, it would be a little yes, bit more right. interesting if it was like I'm Agent De La Garza. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I totally remember De La Garza. From, from the first one. <laughs> Any relation to? Okay, I got I got another um, reference, not to a Die Hard franchise, but a different movie that um, Bruce Willis was in. This is actually two quotes. I'm McLean. I swear to you, I had no idea I was going to be an accessory to, to to Armageddon. I am doing the country a favor <laughs> by tearing it apart. Better me than some outsider, some religious nut job bent on Armageddon. Nobody wants to see that happen. So Armageddon, you know, it's, it's, it's a word that people use, I assume, but it's kind of a specific word, you know, and I believe that it's definitely a reference. There's no way that they're writing a movie with Bruce Willis in it that they and they put the word Armageddon in there without referencing <laughs> the movie called Armageddon that he was in just years before. So uh, kind of interesting, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little throwback, I guess. And one other thing um, is that less uh, 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 Wiseman or sorry, Len Wiseman, the director of the movie, he makes a cameo appearance as the jet fighter pilot um, uh, uh, flying that uh, plane around when he's shooting at McLean uh, as he drives up that giant CGI bridge that's collapsing. Right, Uh, right. And then he jumps off of the jet and slides down pavement without getting any sort of... uh brush burn or whatever you right call it. as the thing totally explodes yeah he slides down as it explodes behind him in this epic uh fireball oh so. yeah so epic definitely um <laughs> one other thing that i thought was kind of funny live free or die uh not die hard but live free or die is the official motto of the u.s state of new hampshire um and it's one of the more well-known um official mottos just because it's a uh, kind of um you know, aggressive, I guess you might say. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the phrase was adopted from a toast written by General John Stark, New Hampshire's most famous soldier in the American Revolutionary War. Um, and so he, uh, it's just kind of an interesting little, um, uh, little tidbit there. So, you know, live for your die is a famous phrase in American history, and they use it for this movie, which I nev- we never haven't mentioned. So it takes place on July 4th. Um, just like Independence Day. So, what was the state that they entered in this movie where the state motto was open for business? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I thought it was it. West Virginia, but I just looked up West Virginia's is totally different than that. It's Mountaineers are business always free. Motto Maryland. Oh, Maryland. There it is. Okay. Which I thought Although, was, I thought was kind of funny because it's almost like putting like native advertising in this movie because they're like hey you know other movie places visit maryland film in maryland we're open for business yeah well you know that's that's kind of a novel concept right now you know with coronavirus (laughs) (laughs) um okay but cool state motto uh, easter eggs very you're welcome (laughs) okay let's uh let's move on to our quotable moments what you got joey 
I got this one quote, uh, which is, I've titled, The News is Lying to You, Man. It's called News Radio. He's trying to see if any of your friends from Camden made the headlines. Hold on. Listen to the news. You got a problem with the news now? <laughs> yeah, I got a big goddamn problem with the news. You ready for this? The news is completely manipulated. Everything you hear every single day is designed by corporate media to do one thing and one thing only. Jesus. To keep you living in fear. Oh, fear? Total fear. Fear so you'll go out and you'll spend money on things. Things you probably don't even need. Things you probably already have six of. So that their advertisers will keep buying ads on their stations. I'll tell you one more thing. You ready for this? I'll do this all day, man. I got days of day not at home. You don't believe me? I'll keep hey, going. I'll drop a bomb on you bigger than Nagasaki. Hey! What? What? Shut up. So, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it feels very like, oh, I got to make this guy kind of an asshole. So I'm going to have him complain about the news and like how the news is manipulating you. And this is like, a, I guess, a common, I don't know, young person thing to be like society, man, like can't trust them. The media, they're always pushing advertisements. Haven't you listened to the radio? It, the news is just a, a bunch of uh, like native advertising and making you think that you need stuff and making you afraid of things so that you buy stuff, uh, maybe even stuff you already own. <laughs> um, but like, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really have that bite to it, I guess, because it's not exactly, um, there's no specific examples here, right? It's simply, um, oh, the news is bad. Hmm. <laughs> oh, just one degree of abstraction away from journalism bad. Sure. Which oh was, my which gosh, was, I didn't make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, you know, obviously something we've a talked die about. A diehard staple. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did and not even do that. Just That's so funny. like just like in the other diehard movies where they say journalism bad, there is absolutely not enough context to be making a claim like this in this movie. Like again, I do think that this one is specifically to build out the character of Justin Long's character, which I, I'm just calling him Justin Long. It, it, <laughs> it's to build out who he is in his place in yeah. society as this kind of underground hacker guy who very skeptical. Yeah, obviously he's going to be into doing dark web shit. So that makes sense. But the actual commentary behind it, I don't think is supposed to be. It, it, there's not much there. They just say news right. bad. He's just like, oh, it's fear. He's, they're throwing fear. I don't even think it's that interesting, actually. I think it's simply advertising. You know, it's like, oh, we need to sell items. So we're going to talk about those items. And people are going to think that they love those items. But really, it's just, you know them talking about them so that they'll give them more money i would you know, love it, i would love to have caveman brained uh john mcclane call like re remember this conversation later when he sees the capitol building explode and he runs out and sees it's not exploded he was like justin long was right the news is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> oh one other thing uh, and i i have to i have to find this exact thing but i'm pretty sure that tactic they use in that in that little fear clip where they're like where the guy's typing out the words on the on the screen saying like what if you called 911 no no one answered i'm pretty sure that was a a uh, a campaign ad yeah strategy it that was trump uh, used. yeah it was a trump like saying that if biden became president then right. there will be like no mass chaos yeah they're gonna defund the police yeah and and things are gonna be like 911 will basically stop working 
that's just yeah that's a cool thing probably probably means nothing that you know the villains of this movie use the same tactics <laughs> as one of our presidential candidates all right okay all right all right uh i think that's everything for our quotable section joey i believe you know what time it is it's time for us to go a little deeper deeper, deeper. okay so at the beginning of the movie, during while they're showing the credits and the different names of the um, actors and stuff, they have this interesting thing where it says, based upon, and other Die Hard movies have been based upon other stories. They've been adapted for the Die Hard formula. But this one said, based upon an article, um, which was written by, um, uh, what's his name? John uh, Carlin. And the article is called A Farewell to Arms. It was written in Wired magazine in May of 1997. And it's, uh, it's an interesting article. Um, you can read it if you'd like. It's not as exciting as this movie is. Um, but I got a couple of quotes from it that I think are, are interesting and kind of uh, tell a story about what this is about. Basically, the premise of the article is that um, it's warning people about the prevalence of technology in our modern world and how that creates vulnerabilities in our security structure um and he he refers to this um like new war new cold war or ongoing war going on called he calls it the i war or information war so here's a quote from it like the technology that makes it possible the landscape is vast hard to visualize and infinitely flexible i war can be the kind of neat conceptually contained electronic Pearl Harbor scenario that Washington strategies like the collapsing power grids, a stock market software bomb, Tom Clancy's are been there already, um, a, an electromagnetic pulse that takes the phone system out, or it could be something completely different, an unreachable, maybe even unknown foe, grinding you down, messing with your collective mind, driving you slowly, gently nuts, turning around your high-powered, fully-wired expeditionary force in Somalia into a single 30-second video clip of one of your boys being dragged behind a Jeep. Weaponary, weaponry by CNN. Um, so what they're talking about is disinformation uh, campaigns, which we have seen prevalent in the last four or five years, especially from Russia. Um, all of these different cyber attacks that are not targeting our infrastructure or our um, necessarily like the way that our um, technology is used, but Social media, uh, creating these uh, narratives that you can't trust the government or you can't trust specific people or that there are certain things out there that are being um, that are there that they're lying to you about, like, the you know, like in the news, how the news is always lying to you, um, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, this was written in 1997. So clearly they saw the possibility of something like this, although most of the article is centered around those first examples where there are some sort of like massive espionage attack. Um, an example that is referenced in Die Hard actually is a, a um, worm or a computer virus that targeted Iran's centrifuges for making, um, I think it was uh, nuclear like um, uh, weapons or something. Basically, they were these giant centrifuges that were supposed to run at a very specific speed. And we created a virus that would go in there and make them run so fast it would damage themselves. And in some cases, it actually worked really, really well um, until Iran found out and then reversed engineered it and sent one back to us. Wow. So it's, um, it's an interesting uh, little example he has here. I have another quote here that I think is also um, kind of telling. One 
uh, proposal quietly making the rounds on Capitol Hill is to let the NSA engage in domestic monitoring, partly on the theory that digital technology makes distinctions between domestic and foreign artificial. Where's the water's edge in cyberspace? Which is um, kind of predicting something like the Patriot Act and all of the, and the Snowden leaks too, about all the different apparatuses the NSA was using to spy on American citizens. Um, and they uh, clearly it wasn't, it was quietly making the rounds, but it clearly did happen in the background. And I, there's another one. Uh, there are plenty of bright ideas out um, in the freelance eyewear market. In fact, there's a whole cottage industry starting with Infowar.com, a sprawling commercial website run by longtime eyewear enthusiast Win uh, Shostwar. So this is um, not Infowars. This is a different site. Wow. Okay. That um, <laughs> that was um, reportedly helping like the freelance market and, and and like the security market and stuff. And he was specifically talking about the I war or the info the information war that uh, was incoming. So uh, interesting little <laughs> kind of Easter egg, I guess, from 1997. I wonder if that was it had anything to do with the InfoWars name that we know today. Probably. I mean, uh, uh, InfoWars has like the, the term or like, I guess, you know, the uh, media, whatever it's called, company. Um, it certainly is named appropriately yeah. where they are certainly putting out information that is like, uh, you know, causing people to be extremely distressful. Uh, both, uh, almost entirely false, of course. Um, all, and then I got one more quote. All of which, of course, would sound a lot like what our Chinese friends call soft destruction. As William Church says, the most damaging form of I war is political war or psychological war. And pretty much anything can be part of it. Power outages, network breakdowns, clever disinformation campaigns, anything to get the populace to feel that the country is going to hell. Um, those whom the I war gods would destroy, they first make mad. So this is a, again, it's interesting that he predicts like the in disinformation as being a major component in the information war. Um, and this is the inspiration, uh, for die, live for your die hard, uh, which really did focus more on the infrastructure sections and things. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. No, no mention of fire sale in here. In fact, I think fire sale, the term was invented for uh, Live Fear, Die Hard. Oh, that makes it super disappointing then. Because <laughs> you're going to come up with something. If you come up with anything, you could do something mm. much better. They just wanted that one line from Justin Long. The yeah. Everything must go. Everything must go. And uh, this is actually the topics covered here are really interesting. And it, and again, kind of is disappointing that Die Hard focused so hard on what just the aspects they focused on which i guess are the ones that really make the most sense for die hard like if you're going to make an action movie you'd want like kind of uh the more exciting parts to be something you can punch and destroy or or like yeah but i mean in 1997 do. and even in 2007 right we didn't know what a disinformation cam campaign looked like you know what i mean and i mean even today it's kind of hard to exactly put your finger on exactly what it is because they're always so subtle. It's mm -hmm. the, um, and that's why they work. It, that's, so I think they kind of play with that with like the, um, the president uh, speech that they, that they put together and the, um, the little video of the, uh, 
capital collapsing and stuff, those are meant to cause fear in you know the eyes of the public and everything. So you know, maybe they're uh, enacting their own version of that uh, with those um, those images. Do you know if this has any sort of uh, relation to A Farewell to Arms by Ernest Hemingway? I do not. Okay, I haven't read it. I just I, that's where my mind went when I was like, "A Farewell to Arms by who?" <laughs> I think um, it, it probably is a reference to it. Um, you know, the, it's kind of a haunting title, so right. Okay. Well, that is interesting. Um, and, it, and again, I think one of the coolest things about that just in general is that Die Hard does that. They pull in other things and apply them to the Die Hard formula, which is, which is a cool way to continue your franchise. Definitely. Okay, well, I think that's going to conclude our conversation on Live Free or Die Hard. As we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give Live Free or Die Hard? I give this movie uh, watching uh, this on a road trip up and down the East Coast. Nice. It is technically a road trip film, right? If you want to include helicopters in there. (laughs) Um, I give this movie a computer that explodes when you hit the delete key. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Uh, Super convenient uh, that that was something that those computers did. But... um, That is going to do it. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we're doing Annihilation. Yes, which I've heard a lot of good things about. We will have a guest on that episode as well, so look forward to that. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this podcast, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat on all three, or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. There's also a YouTube channel called Affable Chat, which is ours, and there's videos there that we made. Imagine if it wasn't ours, if there's another <laughs> Affable Chat And we out just there. plugged it anyway. <laughs> just go check them out. I mean, they have a cool name, at least. Um, <laughs> Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. That's twitch.tv slash affable chat come check us out that's gonna do it for this episode for affable chat i'm benjamin and i'm joey thanks for listening